Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and myself take a deep dive into the recent $400 million settlement with the OCC and DOJ and Citigroup around its failures in enterprise risk management. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, a voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we take up a uh, Pizza Pizza Double blog post issue from Matt Kelly on Citigroup and their recent settlement with the OCC. So, Matt, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and uh, tell us about Citigroup's imbroglio. Yeah. Hi, Tom. So, um, this is very interesting what has happened at Citigroup. Uh, They were fined $400 million uh, by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which controls consumer banking in the United States, and by the Federal Reserve, which uh, basically governs the holding companies that operate the consumer banks in the United States. So technically, OCC placed a sanction against Citigroup N.A., and the feds, uh, the Federal Reserve, placed a sanction against Citigroup Corporation. But these, these were two enforcement actions joined at the hip for a $400 million fine against Citigroup for poor risk management practices generally. And uh, the enforcement actions grouped this into four big categories of substandard management that they had decided they'd had enough of from Citi. Um Poor enterprise risk management, poor corporate compliance, poor internal controls, and poor data governance. Um, We should note that actually nowhere in these consent orders do we really get much detail into exactly what did Citigroup do that was so bad with its risk management and its corporate compliance and the internal controls. All of it was clearly interconnected, and all of it was clearly flawed and problematic enough that the regulators felt Citigroup wasn't getting a complete picture of its own risks, so it couldn't really govern itself to the way that the regulators wanted a large, systemically important bank like Citigroup is. Um, Citigroup wasn't able to govern itself as the regulators would like, and uh, also problems with regulatory reporting that I think the regulators were saying, well, if you can't govern your own data and internal risks, how do we know that what you're telling us is accurate and complete? We don't. Uh, This had gone on for several years, and the regulators had been prodding Citigroup to do better, do better. Um, Citigroup was not doing better. So finally, we get this consent decree. Um, Citi neither confirms nor denies nor admits nor anything else, any of the allegations in the order, as usual. But anyways, it is very interesting for any compliance and audit executive because there's a lot in this order, some very exacting reports and plans that Citigroup is going to have to devise to improve all of its internal operations 
Those things are worth studying. Um, and it's also worth noting that this is going to be such a big mess that the CEO of Citigroup, Mike Corbett, uh, he announced his resignation ahead of schedule pretty much when they announced this settlement. Um, he, it is not accurate to say that Corbett got fired. Um, it is unclear whether regulators said Corbett's got to go as part of this. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But it, it was also, according to Citigroup, the CEO Corbett came to realize this is such a large undertaking that he should accelerate his departure and let his successor CEO, who will be the first woman to run a major Wall Street bank, um, his successor CEO can deal with this uh, effort, which is probably going to take several years to implement. But it is a big, sprawling consent order that covers a lot of different risk assurance problems. And there are a lot of roadmaps for what a bank should be doing for good enterprise risk management, good internal controls and data governance. And it's very interesting for anybody, bank or non-bank, just to see here's the stuff that regulators are looking for for an effective approach to, to governance. So, so that's why it's worth such close attention. So, Matt, you laid out some of uh, – one of the interesting things was because they didn't go into as great a detail – as we see in other enforcement actions, uh, certainly around the FCPA, the prescriptions and requirements on city are more general, but that is actually of more value to the compliance practitioner because they're not city group specific solutions. They are really solutions that that everyone can uh, audit against and implement. But you, uh, I was really intrigued because as your first point, you started out with figure out the people. And talk about yeah. clear roles and clear responsibilities in a way I'm, I'm not sure I had seen you talk about before. Could you maybe expand on that a little bit? Sure. So for a lot of those big four categories of concern um, that the regulators had flagged, internal controls, uh, enterprise risk management, data governance, and some of the others, um, the regulators were always saying, you know, they would list seven or eight different specific items that needed to be in Citigroup's action plans. And for each category and each action plan, like list item number one was always define roles and responsibilities. I did one post here specifically about the enterprise risk management revamping that Citigroup needs to do. And I think it's pretty demonstrative of the challenges a company would need to face for any large organization and especially for banks you will have a line of business in the first line of defense. Could be wealth management, consumer banking, private banking, foreign exchange trading. Each operating unit will have its own risk management team in the unit. So there is a risk management function in the first line of defense. There is also a chief risk officer in the second line of defense. And a lot of what the OCC consent order talks about is how to establish clear roles and responsibilities for risk or compliance or internal controls or data governance um, to establish clear roles and responsibilities for the risk management people in the first line versus the risk management people in the second line. The second line is more independent and they are basically keeping an eye on the risk management day-to-day -day stuff that the risk people in the first line are doing. Um, you have to think that through because if you do not think that through as a large organization, what is the head of risk or compliance in the second line? What are they responsible for? 
And what are the people in the first line of defense and the business units? What are they responsible for? If you don't have all of that straight, either both sides will think, oh, well, this is a problem, but the other one is doing it. And I know that, so I don't have to worry about it. And you're wrong. And then nobody's doing it. Or you're both worrying about the same risk in different ways, or you're overlapping, or there's turf wars, you're stepping on your toes, um, or you just wind up at cross purposes. Uh, things will fall through the cracks, or there will be some things that are just overmanaged because both the first line and the second line are looking at them. You need to get those clear lines established. Uh, the ERM post that I wrote about, I think, really called it out the the ideal relationship. I think the best is that. The first line of defense is responsible for the risk. And we say that all the time in these podcasts and in these posts and best practices stuff. The business unit owns the risk. We all get that. So the business unit owns the risk, but the second line makes sure that they are managing the risk in the right way there in the first line. So the second line of defense in the settlement order, they're talking about monitoring, they're talking about testing, they're talking about making sure the second line has enough authority to uh, basically govern what is going on in the first line risk management effort. But you know, you need to establish all of that first, and then you can figure out how are we going to do it. But if you don't have who is doing what and making sure it's all seamless and supporting each other, then who cares how you do it because you're not doing the right stuff. So you can have the best tech in the world, but if you're ignoring the wrong risks, the best tech isn't going to help you finally pay attention to it. Was that even extended to the third line of defense by requiring the board to have a compliance committee or at least a compliance expertise on the board? Yes and no. The third line of defense would, in the strictest read, be the internal audit function. And internal audit, at least in the first couple of posts that I have written about and the parts of the uh, consent order I've looked at, internal audit hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention yet. Um, I'll probably do a few more posts. Maybe we talk about this another week. But for many firms, especially if you are not in financial services or you're not a huge sprawling multinational, you might not have a chief risk officer in the second line. In that case, your internal audit team in the third line would fulfill that role of making sure risk management people in the first line are doing the right things. Um, now, for many people who are not in financial services, you might be wondering, wait, am I supposed to have like a risk manager in every first line of defense? Not necessarily. If you're a big global bank, yeah, you do. If you're not, you just need to have operating executives aware of what are my risk management responsibilities? What are my key risks? What are the metrics I'm tracking? What are the procedures I'm using to manage the risk? They need to know all of that. Your backstop, whether they're in the second line or the third line, needs to make sure that all of those tools that they have, all the awareness, that that's correct and it's working and it's fit for the risks the company actually has. So that's the role that internal audit or a risk management function could fulfill. Second line, third line. I don't personally get hung up on that. Tom, you also asked about the board. Uh, yes, Citigroup will need to com to create a compliance committee on the board. It will need to be five directors. Um, I'm pretty sure all five have to be independent directors. At the very least, a majority of them have to be. I think it is that all five have to be. Um, 
I haven't yet written about what the board needs to do here. That's going to be another post in my Citigroup series. But basically, whoever is doing that second or third line risk management role, making sure that we understand all of the risks and the first line people who own the risk, they've got the right tools and processes to do it and that they are doing it. That person in the second or third line making sure the first line works, they also report up to the compliance committee of the board to tell them, here's what's going on. Here's how we know that we are doing our best with risk management and internal controls and compliance, and it's all working. Um, So it's a pretty complex structure. It's too bad we don't have a video component here to our podcast. We could sketch it all out on a whiteboard. Um, But that's the way it ultimately would work in the ideal. You've got somebody in charge of assessing your risk management capabilities. They report to the compliance or risk or audit committee of the board. They also keep an eye on what's going on on the first line of defense where they're the ones actually managing the risk. So your second blog post turned to the ERM component, and you were very intrigued with what you call the recipe for an ERM program. Could you maybe hit some of the highlights you saw in the OCC order? Yeah, so the OCC order had 12 points that Citigroup's ERM plan, which they must write up and present to OCC for regulatory approval, uh, that ERM plan has to include 12 separate points. Um I will flag a couple that I thought were pretty important. Uh, first, the risk appetite framework that includes all the metrics that you're going to use to assess and watch your top risks. Um, you're going to have each business unit in the first line of defense. They need a comprehensive risk control self-assessment framework. And that's really nitty-gritty stuff somebody who isn't a trained professional risk manager, but is in the first line of defense. It's a document they could use to understand what's the all of our operations? What are the actual risks associated with these operations? What are the controls for each of the risks that we've identified with my operations? Um, how do I assess all of this? So those four things have to be in that self-assessment framework. That is just, that's only one of the 12 points in the ERM plan. Um, You need written policies and uh, procedures to ensure that the independent risk management person, the chief risk officer, the head of internal audit, whoever it is, but there are policies and procedures to make sure that person does have effective, independent ability to govern what is going on for risk management in the first line and can tell them, you're doing it wrong. We're going to do it now this way. You're missing this risk. We have to assess it, this new risk this way. Um, another point that I thought was excellent, policies and procedures to assure effective risk governance and oversight when lines of business are realigned or redesigned. And I think that is important because we should remember this is how Citigroup got into trouble in the first place. It is a highly acquisitive company. So they had a hodgepodge of I don't know how many different systems to track customer activity and internal activity. Uh, So you would maybe have multiple identifiers associated with one individual person who's a customer at the bank. So wealth management and consumer banking might not know that they're tracking the same person's risks in different ways. 
and then they can't get a complete picture of the customer's risks um, because you're a highly acquisitive bank and you've gotten all these different ERP systems that can't talk to each other. And then you're going to do a reorg because we've slashed interest rates. So you can't get any money that way. So the bank has to cut costs and yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of change that can happen at a large bank and any large organization, really. So how will your risk management program be able to sort of bend and weave with those reorgs that come along instead of just being this static fixed structure that the more the company changes, the less that risk management program is fit for purpose and reflecting reality. That was a big risk. Um, so that's, uh, I thought was another excellent point to think about for ERM. So with the, um, I was really intrigued by the roadmap and how, uh, you believe that uh, this order really gives the audit professional, the compliance professional, the risk management professional uh, a true uh, insight into how the OCC is thinking that banks, and I'm going to say commercial organizations, should also think through these issues. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. Um, it's probably worth discussing, actually, how Citigroup and its settlement here is different from Wells Fargo and all of its troubles that Tom, you and I have talked about many, many times. Um, because people might wonder, so is this Citigroup thing kind of like the Wells Fargo thing? Kind of, yes. But Wells Fargo had all sorts of internal operational challenges around risk management and corporate reporting and compliance and internal controls, coupled with a very corrosive work culture and a flawed strategy that eventually drove many people to commit misconduct to meet their sales goals. And when you, that was the culture and then this vehicle of totally messy internal controls. That's how Wells Fargo became this poster boy for bad corporate conduct. It's much worse than what Citi did. Um, City did not actually have any complaints about its corporate culture, none that I've seen so far, nothing that showed up in the OCC order. Um, so City didn't have these grand scandals like we've seen with Wells Fargo. Um, so really, there aren't any juicy details in the OCC settlement with Citigroup. Instead, it's just this long recitation of improvements you need to make to have effective Whatever, and we have four categories of whatever here, ERM and data governance. Those are the first two things I've looked at, but also internal controls and corporate compliance. You can look at the consent order for whichever of those four categories tickles your fancy, listeners, and see this is what a important regulator thinks should be in place for effective Risk management, internal controls, compliance, data governance, take your pick. Um, and that's what I am worrying about at my organization, so I can go and pick through these things too. You know, Tom, you and I just mentioned the ERM improvements and the 12 items that uh, OCC wants to see in Citigroup's plan. Almost all 12 of those are relevant to any large company. There's a couple about specific financial and banking issues that aren't going to be relevant to you. But we're talking about one or two small things out of 12 major categories. It's well worth your time to look through the the 12 there. It will help you understand what a good risk management program should do. Um, you could also look at it for data governance. I promise I will have a part three and four where I look at internal controls and compliance, but I'm confident 
that it really is just a good roadmap of stuff you need to have to be able to do for regulators to say, yep, what you're doing there is effective. That's by, that meets our standards. The, now you've given us something to really look forward to because the first two blog posts I thought were incredibly instructive. And, and I guess I'm s- stuck and still struck by how useful this is literally for, for every business of, of size and of scale in the United States, certainly beyond the banking industry. Yeah, very true. Well, I look forward to uh, however many posts you have coming forward, and I uh, hope we can visit on this topic again, Matt. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available forms of blog post written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.